this is Mike Linstead, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, and you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, we're back on our podcast series entitled The Life in Christ, where Pastor Chad and myself are walking through the book of Philippians verse by verse, line by line. And man, Chad, we're having a great time in this book. We're learning all about what it means to be a selfless, sacrificial servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we not? We are. And it's such a a gift to have this letter to the Philippian church, just just on the basis of when Paul is writing this, where he's writing it from, from prison, from his example of humility, Mm -hmm. um, going into these very practical things that I think all of us can struggle with, and especially what we're going to talk about today, um, this idea of servanthood, but also um, this idea of being selfless as a Christian and not allowing pride to to get in the way of, of our glorifying of God and our loving of other people. Yeah. And just a brief overview of some of the, the main themes of this book, Philippians. The, the podcast is entitled The Life in Christ because Christ is the entire subject. I mean, that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about Jesus Christ and all of the ramifications that he has for our life. And he says very famously uh, in verse 21 of chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we talked about how, you know, that is a very wonderful theologically rich statement that, you know, we see all over the place, we heard all the time, but we we have kind of a difficult Mm -hmm. understanding of what that really is, right? Well, in the next verse he says, but if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Right, so part of the uh, definition of what he means there is fruitful labor, selfless mm-hmm. sacrifice, and he's been talking about that throughout the entirety of the book thus far. Last week we looked at the famous section called the Kenosis passage, mm-hmm. which is in chapter two, verses five through eleven, and we talked about the three different historical views of that passage: the full canonic view the subcanonic view, and the servant view. And we came to the conclusion that based on the context of the book, the servant view is likely what Paul had in mind. Now, are the subcanonic view, or is the subcanonic view wrong? It might not be. There's a really good case that it isn't wrong, right? The, the view is just for your, just to remind you, is that Christ did not empty himself of his divinity, but what he did there, this is according to the subcanonic view, is that he relinquished his right to exercise his divine privileges, right? So he did this so that he would be fully dependent on the Father and the Holy Spirit uh, to exercise miracles and things like Mm -hmm. that. Now, we said, based on, you know, the the research that we did and, and the context of the book, that this is probably not what Paul fully had in his mind. Now, it may be true that in some way, Christ did relinquish his right uh, by fact of becoming a human being uh, to exercise his divine miraculous powers at will. But that's likely not what Paul's trying to teach us here. He's trying to show us, by way of Christ's example, what a selfless, sacrificial, humble servant looks like, right? And so we had the example of Christ, essentially, then, in last week's podcast. And today, we're going to walk through chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, and we're going to see Paul's example of selfless service today. But as usual, there's quite 
a lot of other things that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. because the Bible is just so rich in its uh, meaning and in what we can talk about. So, Chad, do you have any other comments before we dive into our section today? Well, I'll just say the, the reason why I said this is such a helpful book for us is everything you just said we all struggle with and none of us really want to do. Yeah. At the end of the day, we want some benefit for ourselves. Um, at the end of the day, we want we want to serve God, but we want to experience blessing. We don't want to serve selflessly in the way that Christ did that may mean that we never experience any um blessing in this day and age or in this time um, beyond just Christ himself. We want tangible blessings. We want it to be easier. We want things to be given to us. We want um, to be right. We want just fill in the blank. We just want so many things. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. And this part of Christianity is the struggle. It really challenges what we actually want. Do we want God? Do we want God's glory? Is he enough? Or do we want other things? Yeah. And I think Paul's going to get into that today in our passage. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and read chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Chad, why don't you read the first, uh, let's say, three verses, and I'll finish this off here. Okay. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as a light in the world. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to boast because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you also rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So Paul is using himself as an example of what it looks like to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of the Philippians' faith. But let's go back to verse 12 and let's start to walk through this text. So remember, Paul's just come off of the example of Jesus Christ as the example of humility. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. Mm-hmm. This is how he defined his own ministry in Mark ten forty five. Yeah. So therefore, Paul uses the Lord Jesus Christ as the preeminent example. Mm-hmm. Any good pastor should do that. Any good pastor is going to say, look at the Lord Jesus Christ for everything, right? Yeah. What is the question we should always ask ourselves in every single situation? It is this, how can I glorify Christ in this situation? Mm-hmm. That's it. So... I love how simple that is, yeah. although it's very difficult to do. As we say often, God's a God of clarity, not confusion. Our sin confuses us. But mm. when we ask those clarifying questions, the answer becomes very simple but hard. Right. As we're going to see, because God is a God of clarity doesn't mean that we can comprehend everything. Mm-hmm. And what we have before us here in verses 12 and 13 are one of those antimonies. That is a parallel truth. Mm-hmm. Antimony is a theological word that denotes a parallel truth. Okay. We have two truths, like a train track, that mm-hmm. run side by side. And where they converge is off in the distance. Mm-hmm. Charles Spurgeon said of antimonies, that exact example that I just said, and he said, those two truths in, in any antimony of the Bible will converge at the throne of God. Mm-hmm. So 
what is the set of parallel truths? Well, it's this. He says in the latter half of verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So is it our works or is it God who works? I what? <laughs> See? Right? Now, now listener, look. The Bible is full of these parallel truths. Mm-hmm. We can ask you so many questions. Number one, how is the virgin birth possible? Mm-hmm. Was it fully human or fully divine? Mm-hmm. Number two, Jesus Christ himself, was he fully human or fully divine? Number three, how is one saved? Is it because of a human choice or is it because of a divine gift? Mm. You can just go down the line. There's tons of these things. Who wrote the Bible? Was it man or was it God? (laughs) You see? So um, God's sovereignty um, is one area where you're going to see a lot of these parallel truths pop up. And that's okay. I, I just would remind you of Romans chapter 11. Um, where Paul just breaks out into praise in verses 33 through 36. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of other scriptures that we could go to to point out this reality that there are things in the mind of God that mankind just cannot comprehend. That doesn't mean it's confusing. That just means that we have to accept the Bible for what it says and submit to it. If we are people of the word, that's what we will do. And what we have before us is one of those very things. Paul says, work out your salvation. So that denotes human responsibility. Mm -hmm. You put a ton of effort into this, but just know this, that it is God who works in you both mm-hmm. to will, which speaks of the mental facu- faculty, and to work for his good pleasure. Right. And he also says in that as you're working out your own salvation, he, he gives us the attitude by which we do it with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. It is an attitude of humility that the Lord ultimately is the one that we serve, the one that we're glorifying, the one that we... Um, <coughs> stand before and so we don't want to have any uh pride any selfishness any self-glorification within the working out of our salvation but we want to work it out in faithfulness to the lord yeah and that's where the second part of the the truth comes in because it is god who is working in us yes now a couple more observations from verses 12 and 13 notice what he says so then my beloved he speaks to the congregation as a whole, right? And we talked about the significance of this in last week's episode where we said, you know, in our American culture, we don't think in terms of, you know, corporate responsibility. We think in terms of individual responsibility, right? But the Bible stresses the corporate sometimes over the individual, actually most times over the individual. Yeah. The church is a um, living organism, where it says in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul delineates the doctrine of the body of Christ, that if one member suffers, then all members suffer, mm-hmm. right? If I break break my ankle, 
then my entire body is going to be affected by that broken ankle. And the Bible speaks to this, this idea of corporate responsibility very often. Mm-hmm. Now, that corporate body is made up of individuals. So it's not either or, it's both and, right? right. There's unity and diversity, which, by the way, there's another antimony, the <laughs> trinity. I don't get that yeah, at all, yeah, but yeah, I believe yeah. it, right? So he says, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, talking about their desire from the first day, uh, he says in chapter 1, verse 5, their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, their desire to, to pursue Christ, right, has been prevalent ever since they first got saved. He says, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with reverence, I'll say, fear and trembling, right? So this denotes, again, this congregational striving in the gospel, right, which has been one of the major motifs of this book, one of the major threads that runs throughout its entirety. Paul has said elsewhere to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, which basically is an echo here. This Mm -hmm. verse is an echo of chapter 1, verse 27. And so um, I think we have to make that observation Mm -hmm. because that roots us back in the whole book, right? We aren't individuals. The Philippians aren't just individual Christians existing on an island. They are individuals who are part of the corporate body of Christ. And if every individual is striving to obey the Lord, mm. if every individual is is straining in their sanctification, in other words, to put it in the way that Paul puts it, if every individual is working out their salvation with fear and trembling, that's going to result in something that accords with God's good pleasure. That's how he ends verse 13. And this is a a sign of a healthy church, is it not, Mm -hmm. Chad? Absolutely. That as the Lord has set it up, it it begins in the pulpit, right, With, with the corporate preaching and teaching of the word to equip the body. And we take that and we grow in that and we disciple one another, we encourage one another, we rebuke one another, we... We pray for one another. We all the one another's of Scripture, so that the body as a whole, as one big organism, is being built up yeah. to glorify God. And there's protection in that. There's joy mm-hmm. in that. There's yes. love in that. The the family of God. That's where individualism cannot exist and should not exist in the mind of a Christian. Um, as you said, it, we have to have the whole in mind. It's not just about what I receive, but it's how can I glorify God in this moment for my fellow believer, my fellow mm-hmm. man? And we think that same way as we're out into the world. How can we love others? And for the lost, it's to love them with the gospel, to share the gospel, to see them come to know the gospel. And so Amen. the attitude of selflessness should be a marker of a Christian life. Mm-hmm. Amen. And I think that's what Paul is stressing in this epistle, to be sure. Mm -hmm. So let's move on then to verse 14 and following. He says, do all things, all things. Let's stop there for a second. Everything, (laughs) every single day, Yeah. right? I like to say, what's the Greek word for all? All. It's all. It's all. What does it mean? Everything. All. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Okay, let's stop there for a bit. Now, those two words are in stark contrast to the familiar word that he uses throughout this epistle, that is the word rejoice. Mm -hmm. You cannot rejoice if you are grumbling, Mm -hmm. which literally means having secret displeasure. Mm -hmm. 
secret, right? This is referring to the inner man, yeah. right? This notion of being um, unhappy, this notion of being uh, not being content, mm. right? Uh, secret displeasure is what the Israelites displayed as soon as they got out of Egypt, Yeah. right? So let's go back to the Old Testament because Paul has a couple of phrases in verse 15 that echo us back there. He, he uses the phrase children of God and also crooked and perverse generation. So let's go to Deuteronomy 32 verse 5 first to see him use this phrase crooked and perverse generation. I'm here. Go ahead and read it, brother. 32, Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Wow. Now, this is in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is prophesying what's going to happen to the Israelite people, right? And they haven't even entered into the promised land yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is incredible to think about uh, you know, Chad, just imagine like you're a pastor and you say this to your congregation, mm. the, the second we move into a brand new building, here's what's going to happen in a thousand years from now, right? Mm. <laughs> you yeah. guys are all going to turn your back on the Lord yeah, uh, because of what you've been doing. You know, this grumbling and this complaining that you guys have been doing ever since then, that's not going to stop. Mm. You're going to keep doing that just like you did as soon as you got out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. That's how serious this notion of grumbling and complaining is. Mm-hmm. This is no small matter in the mind of God. Now, if we look at Exodus chapter 15, I'll read from verses 22 through, uh, let's, I don't know, let's just go all the way down to 26 here. This is literally right when they get on the other side of the Red Sea. Yeah, they just saw a miracle, a miracle of miracles. Yes. So here's what it says in Exodus 15, verse 22. Then Moses had Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. And they came to Marah, but they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Therefore he set for them a statute and a judgment, and there he tested them. And he said, this is Yahweh, If you will earnestly listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, Yahweh, am your healer. So, what's the scenario here? They've got deliverance, they've got no water, right? So this miraculous deliverance happened, and now they don't have a basic need, right? Yeah, yeah. So they're like, wow, all this for nothing. And they start to have secret right. displeasure. Which is such a, a silly way to think of it. Of course, we can all relate to it. Yes. That the Lord has shown that he's their deliverer, knowing the character of God that Moses had been teaching them and preaching to them, Right that they don't immediately think the Lord is going to provide for us. Their first thought is, you did all this just to bring us out here and you're not giving us what we need and we, 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 I, 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 yeah. I, I. And, yeah. the, and the Lord's trying to show them a lesson. Like, I take the log, put it in there, take a drink, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you've already that quickly not trusted that I will provide what right. you need. Now, now, listener, you might go, well, I mean, if they didn't complain, then they wouldn't have got the water, right? Well, I stopped one verse short mm-hmm. of where they were headed. 
In verse 27, it says, Then they came to Elam, or Elim, where there were 12 springs of water. Notice 12, one for each tribe. Mm-hmm. And 70 date palms. 70 is a, a very important number. There were 70 elders that would represent all of the different families and people groups there in those 12 tribes. 70 date palms, and they camped there besides the water. So if they're just a little bit more patient, they would have seen where the Lord <laughs> was, was leading it, them. Yeah, to this beautiful, lush... Oasis. Oasis. Yeah, in the midst of a desert. Right. right? <laughs> the Lord was taking them to where they needed to go. Right. But they were impatient. And mm-hmm. They started to grumble, mm-hmm. right? This is important for us to understand. It's particularly people you know, in ministry, right? Or sure. whoever um, is in ministry, they know, especially if they have to depend upon support, you know, support raising and things like that. We know that all too well. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, we could speak from our own experience for a, <laughs> for a long time. Mm-hmm. But basically... Um, God has never not provided for anything that we've ever needed. And so what does he call us to do? He calls us to be faithful. He calls us to be patient. He calls us to be pure children of God, not crooked and perverse, right? And the struggle is always in our pride. You know, I take our experience when we become anxious about what's going to happen. It's because we cannot see nor have control over what's going to happen. That's right. And it challenges our trust in the Lord. Is he going to be faithful? Is he good? Is he going to give us what we need? Yeah. And that's a normal, sinful response that all of us will have to struggle and deal with. It's why we have to bring our mind back to the truth about who God is. Psalm 1 comes to mind, right? The Mm -hmm. blessed man. He doesn't walk in the way of the wicked, but what does he do? He delights in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. Mm -hmm. We have to renew our mind in what is true. We have to renew our mind that God's sovereign plan is what's best. That even if he doesn't provide in the way that we want him to, there's a greater reason and a a better plan of what he wants us Mm -hmm. to do Mm -hmm. and what he is doing. And sometimes he does wait a little bit longer to Mm -hmm. expose those things. The Bible's clear that in trials... He uses trials for the purpose of growing us in a steadfast faith. Yeah. James 1, Romans 5, and to give us a greater hope. And so sometimes he is, he's never not on time, but he's not on the time that we think he is on or right. should be on. Right, right, right. Well, before we move out of this section, let's go on to see the other example of their grumbling in the literally the next couple of verses. Mm-hmm. Then they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of sin which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Here we go again. Here we go again. And the sons of Israel said to them, would that we, have, would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, For you have brought us out into this wilderness to put this whole assembly to death with hunger. Wow. We would rather have died Mm. under the crushing judgments of Yahweh, just as the Egyptians did, than to suffer this. That's crazy. I mean, yeah, that's crazy because they saw all the judgments. Yeah. And And they they were were no small matter. And they just had the Red Sea not too long in their past. And they just had the Paradise. And... Do you not think that the Lord is still with you, taking you to the next place? Right. It's, it's 
but how quickly we forget. How quickly we forget, right? This shows the total depravity of mankind. Yeah. It, is it, it doesn't mean that we're as bad as we possibly could be. That just means that we're as bad as we possibly could be in God's sight, mm-hmm. right? Not on a human level, but in a, on a divine level, we are wicked, right? And this shows us that, I mean, we're no different than the sons of Israel, mm-hmm. right? I mean, how often do we just get so discontented so oh, yeah. quickly, right? Oh, yeah. From day to day. And I can say, shoot, this is a struggle for me regularly in little ways, right? Like you're investing in someone and gosh, why can't they get it? Mm-hmm. Or like you said, man, we're we're trying our best to be faithful and I'm not sure if we're going to have enough. Mm-hmm. Or like those thoughts come through our minds all yeah. the time. I know they do mine. But the the practice has to be, but you are God. Yes. And you have always and and you've always provided going back to what Paul says, to live as Christ, to die as gain. This is what you have for me right now. Even if you put me in prison, this is for your glory. And those are the things that bring about peace mm-hmm. and joy in the midst of a trial. Those trials don't go away when you're mm-hmm. when you're in the middle of them. They are walking through a wilderness, probably not having much food again. Right. We as we know. They don't know what's on the other side yet. Mm-hmm. Nor does Moses, right? Honestly, but we have to renew our mind at who God is, That's right? And who and and trusting that His way is best. It's okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that is difficult. So here's what it goes on to say in verse four. Then Yahweh said to Moses, "Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my law." Now it will be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it will be twice as much as they gather daily, right? This is the sixth day before the Sabbath day. They were not allowed to go out on the Sabbath day, so they were going to have twice as much provided to them on the sixth day. That way they could honor the Sabbath day. Moses says in verse 6, So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel, At evening you will know that Yahweh has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of Yahweh. For he hears your grumblings against Yahweh. Now that's interesting because the scripture says that they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron in verse 2. But here, Moses, as the mouthpiece of God, says that those grumblings against Moses and Aaron are actually against the Lord himself. Mm. Now, this shifts us into our next point in our next word here. The next word in Philippians in our text is disputing. Now, Disputing in the Greek literally means deliberating, questioning about what is true, and it refers to the reasoning of people who think themselves wise. Mm -hmm. Now, if you know the story of the Israelites, they ended up having some real problems with Moses. They they had some real problems with him. Even Miriam, his own sister, Mm -hmm. had some real problems with him. And I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was Korah's Rebellion where finally the people of Israel had had enough with Moses. And they wanted to kick him out of leadership. Mm -hmm. They rebelled against him. They held basically a mutiny. And God would not have any of that. Mm -hmm. He came and he he handled business. He opened the grounds and people started falling into it. That's right. And many people died that day Mm -hmm. because they rebelled against the Lord's chosen leader. Mm -hmm. So, Christian, if you've ever had secret displeasure towards your leadership at your church for reasons that are unbiblical, if you've ever had it at all, I would warn you, the Lord takes those sorts of secret displeasures and grumblings and disputings personally. Mm -hmm. 
that doesn't that's not to mean that the person is perfect, but the Lord is perfect. And we have to understand this about ministry. It's going to be inherently messy. Oh yeah. Right? Let's just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 briefly just to illustrate this this reality. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 through 29 say this. For consider your calling, brothers. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. He's chosen the things that are not so that he may abolish the things that are so that no flesh may boast before God. Amen. Ministry is not being executed by qualified professionals in God's mind. It's being executed by those who are foolish, by those who are weak, mm -hmm. by those who are not of noble birth. Yeah. Right? Now, we sort of taken it in our culture and handed it over to quote-unquote professionals. Mm -hmm. Right? You go to seminary, you get a degree in pastoral ministry, therefore you're a professional. Right? Mm -hmm. What if you're not even called by God to be a pastor? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. There's plenty of people who are in full-time ministry who have never received the call to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. That's a scary thought. Yeah. Because you've got people whom God has not appointed to lead the flock, leading the flock. But in our mind, well, they're the professionals, right? Mm -hmm. We can trust them. Christian, we have to think these things through. Yeah. Are the people leading your church, are they actually called? And how do we know if they're called? Tell us, Chad. Well, we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we go to Titus um, chapter 1, and it gives us the qualifications for elders. Yeah. Right? It shows what the character of an elder is, and it shows the one um, characteristic or talent or gift that an elder must have, which is the ability to teach, mm -hmm. able to teach. Going to seminary and doing all those things are great. Yeah to enhance the ability of that called one to be able to teach effectively. Mm -hmm. But to Mike's point, how do you know if you have a qualified elder? Well, you go through uh, the qualifications of an elder, and you can see these things plainly. You can judge for yourself when it comes to your leadership. And you should you should know these things. Mm -hmm. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'll just read... The list here, because Titus' list is the same, so we don't need to read them both. But he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So there's one indication. Does he aspire to it? Does he desire to pastor in the way the, the Bible has described mm -hmm. uh, pastoring? That's not the only. Just because he aspires doesn't mean that he's qualified, but there has to be a desire for it. Just mm -hmm. because he's... Um, the professional, if you will, yeah, doesn't mean that he's the right guy for the job. And there's so many people who go into the ministry because they perceive it as a steady job. Yeah, absolutely. Or someone else tells them they should do it, and they don't yeah. really want to. Is there a real desire, a love for yeah. God and a love for his people and a desire to, to be that overseer? It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, 
He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with, with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Yeah. A lot of qualifications there, mm-hmm. and a lot of things that, for the one aspiring, should examine his own heart mm-hmm. and self. Is he mature? Does he desire to, to shepherd the flock? Is he able to teach? Is he sober-minded? Is he above reproach? Is he, you know, just going down all that list? Yeah, and, and I would say this too is is, we need to be able to look at the the pattern of the that person's life. Mm-hmm over time that's right and if that pattern doesn't match the biblical pattern Mm -hmm. then despite how the man may feel about ministry yeah um they're not qualified and god's also given other safety measures we see in acts in different places where elders appoint elders right Mm -hmm. so you see the apostles you see paul you see different ones who are appointing those other elders so do the other elders in your church see these things in this man Mm -hmm. do they see this pattern of his life do they see this desire do they see a genuineness of faith Mm -hmm. do they see a humility in him you know all these things are markers as well that the elders of your church should be the one who appoints other elders and god gives these things all his protection to give us clarity of who those called ones should be that's right and if they are then that also gives us a great confidence and it gives us instructions of how we should approach the elders of your church. That's right, because we need to approach them in a respectable, honorable way because of what we just read in Exodus 16. Yeah. The grumblings of the sons of Israel in their inner person mm-hmm. bubbled up out of their mouth and they were against Moses and Aaron. Mm-hmm. And Moses and Aaron represented Yahweh to the people. This is... God's own word back in Exodus chapter 6, I believe, where he said, you will be as God to the people. Mm -hmm. And the Lord takes that, uh, he takes his holy name with the utmost solemnity. It's very serious. It's a very serious matter to begin to grumble against those whom God has called to lead. Yeah, that's right. So we have to be careful about that. We have to make a mention of it because this is what Paul's telling the Philippians to do. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. This is important stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, moving on to verse 15, he says the key phrase, so that, okay, so this is not like a secondary issue based on what he says next, so that you will be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Remember what Deuteronomy 32.5 said, they acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. Mm-hmm. So Paul had that text in his mind and no doubt had the examples of the Israelites in his mind. That grumbling, that secret displeasure, that, that being wise in their own eyes led to them being cast off mm-hmm. as the promised or as the chosen people, Right. right? Now, of course, we know this is all according to the plan of God, but it's a serious matter. And so Paul is exhorting the Philippians here to remember that. And he says, do all these things so that you will be innocent and blameless and that you will shine as lights in the world. I love that. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Jesus, that reminds me of what the Lord said um, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. He says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, if we are grumbling, if we are thinking that we could do it better, if we're disputing, in other words, mm. that's going to keep us from this selfless, sacrificial, effective service right. in the church. That's right. That's right. Because, you know, what you were bringing up earlier, Mike, is is true always. We are messy. Ministry is messy. But it's messy because we're all still battling this sinful flesh. Mm-hmm. Your, <clears throat> your elders being qualified does not mean they're perfect men. It means they are faithful men who are mature, able to teach, and are striving to please and honor God. They will not be always perfect. They will not have always the best ideas in every situation and scenario. But neither will you. That's the thing where humility has to come in. You may think that you have a better, wiser understanding of how something should go, but if the shoes were on the other foot, you would have many people complaining about all your ways. And it's impossible <laughs> right? to not have someone right. complain about what you do. And by the way, if you're in a healthy biblical church, there are ways to approach your elders and help them and be helpful within the body in a humble way. Um, that doesn't mean you're grumbling and complaining if you come and say, hey, here's something I'm noticing. How, yeah. can, how can I be of service to this church to help? And that's wonderful. That's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But it's how you approach it. It's and it's not doing it coming with a prideful, grumbling heart because that's against the glory of God. Yeah, and that leads to further sin like gossip, like slander. Yeah, um, which creates disorder and disunity in the body, which eventually is like it's very similar to like a a sickness or a cancer growing within the body. It's mm-hmm. it does not help anything that um, that we're called to do as people of God, yeah. as Paul clearly states here. Now, in verse 16, he continues the same idea. He says, holding fast to the word of life. Now, that phrase there is connecting us back to verses 14 and 15. And I think it's instructive as to how we will go about doing this, mm-hmm. right? Holding fast, clinging to, depending on the word of life. What's yeah. the word of life? It's the word of God, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we are going to screw up. We are going to sin. We are not perfect. We don't all have the best ideas, but you know what? You want to know how to get through that turbulent time? Hold fast to the steady word of God. That's right. It does not change. Now, notice what he says here. He says, so that. So he's got another purpose for this, okay? Now, this connects us to eschatological references and also to Paul's own example. So he says this, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to boast because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. So Paul is referring within his exhortation to sanctification, he's referring to a pastoral reward. Mm. Let me just read two scriptures for you. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That's the day of Christ. Your leaders are tasked with the tremendous responsibility of keeping watch over your souls because they're going to have to give an account. It goes on to say in verse 17, so that they will do this with joy and not with groaning for this would be unprofitable for you, right? So keep that in your mind, people, as you are um, operating within your local church, that your elders have a tremendous weight upon them that God has given to them, that he helps them bear up 
but they don't need more headaches. They've mm-hmm. got plenty already. And then the other scripture I'd like to read is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, overseeing not under compulsion, but willingly, according to God, and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those who have been allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. For when the chief shepherd appears, there's the day of Christ, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Surely, this is what Paul had in his mind. So that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to boast because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out, that's the Greek word that means a libation. It's a blood or it's a, it's a, it's a drink offering, right? Mm-hmm. Typically it would be blood that is being poured out um, on the sacrifice. But that's what he's referring to. That's the imagery he has there. That's how he views his own example mm-hmm. of selfless sacrificial service. His life is being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of the faith of the Philippian church. Wow. If you're a pastor listening to this, I would encourage you to really meditate on that image there. Do you see yourself as being poured out day in and day out for the sacrifice and service of the faith of those who have been allotted to you by the chief shepherd? If you do, you're in good company. That's how the apostle Paul saw his life. We have to ask to be filled up every day. We must be filled up by the Spirit of God through the study of the Word of God and through prayer if we're going to even get close to what Paul's talking about here. Yeah. This is um, a man who literally shed his blood for the church, mm-hmm. consistently shed his blood for mm-hmm. the church. Every time he started a church, it came at tremendous personal cost to him. Yeah. And he considered it all joy. Look what he says at the end of this verse. I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. And verse 18 says, and you also rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Amen. You know what selfless sacrificial service results in joy? That's right. Joy. Chad, you got any final words before we sign off today? No, I think that's a great place to leave it. Um, I hope that this does help everyone listening to produce great joy and humility in their walk with the Lord. Amen. Well, we thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.